I don't get it. I'm so disappointed. Yeah. So I think the, the, the main lesson that we can take, take from here is don't waste your time like I did and don't watch the reboot Guardian Code. And with that, I say welcome to Geeks with Kids, your weekly, not weekly, bi-weekly geeky podcast from a parenting point of view. I'm one of your hosts, Eric, and joining me just like the last couple of weeks is Steve. Say hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. Uh, that joke never gets old. I know. Ever. Mike, you're not even laughing. That makes it even worse. I know. And I, was soaking, I was soaking it in. <laughs> joining us is Mike. It's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a while since Mike's been on. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think yeah. well, the last one I think I was on was maybe our Buffy retrospective. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, what were you saying, Steve? I sort of just cut you off there. Oh, I was just going to say the high Steve joke is sort of a multi-part. It takes time. You know, you have to let it, you know, percolate. Mm-hmm. I, I got to make sure I'm not downloading any Tor things right now. <laughs> yeah. You got to get your Linux things. distros. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, obviously, because I'm, I'm obviously a Linux person, not a Windows 10, because I'm down like that, I wish. <laughs> I wish I was cool enough to use Linux. I have it on one of my uh, laptops that I just uh, tore apart, but um, there's nothing on it that I really want, like Linux. Mm. It, it, I don't. I don't know if I should have just made it a Chromebook. Yeah, I don't really use my laptop. It was really just so I could search things while I was playing video games or you know sur- surfing it while I'm watching Netflix. Yep. <laughs> no one's like. No one's like. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I use my laptop for. Everyone's like. Uh, you're such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, while, while, while we have Mike here, let's see how things have been with him. How are you doing? It's been a long time. Doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm actually trying out my new sort of uh, podcasting setup here. How's it sound? Coming through good? Sounds good. I think it sounds good. Yeah, yeah it sounds great. Right. Yeah, I think your boom mic and your, what is that? A, uh, what kind of mic do you have? ATR2120? Uh, Audio Technica? Yeah. Uh, yeah i think that's what it is (laughs) yeah don't don't hurt yourself (laughs) um yeah yeah i i you're saying that you're you wanted to stream video games with that oh Um, you know just 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 for messing around i don't know i i I got this like a year ago just to to play with but i don't know it's 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 supposed to be just for i don't know if i want to do any kind of recording but i never really use it well now i can use it well, you know, you're always welcome on this podcast, and we record every other week. All right. So, you know, you have an open invitation. Oh, we're we're gonna have our Star Wars episode soon, so you know, you might want to. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Steve is looking forward to it. It's gonna be a good one, Steve. We're talking about watching order and some yeah. stuff like that. Uh, yeah. We can I probably talk about. We can probably talk about um, how these new films like. Rogue One and Han Solo fit into your watching schedules because eh. it does I, complicate I, things. Yes, I started. I, I actually just um, last year I just watched Rogue One first, and then I watched the original trilogy. That's mm-hmm. how I did it. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, um, as I babble, I'm very tired, uh, listeners. I have had no sleep. My my tired so much and rehearsal for Little Mermaid, which um, you know, doing a free promo here. If you're free and in Hamilton, HammerEntertainment.ca is doing their final show. They're closing after the season, and they're doing The Little Mermaid as their last show. So, you know, fun for all. I play wow. a drunk pirate. Uh, drunk sailor. Not pirate. They're sailors. Ah, very cool. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Are you going, Steve? I'm definitely going to come down for that. Definitely. Yeah. Is it the I Disney will... one? Yeah, it's the Disney one. Okay. Um. Uh, they do do a lot of changes to the script, which is a little weird. Hmm. But, you know, overall, it's going to be a, a fun show. Um, the band sounds amazing. We did their first. We did a Zitz probe, which is just pretty much you, you stand there with your band and you sing through the show for the first time. OK, wait, wait. Sound, it's, it's called a what? No, sorry. A, go, go on. <laughs> a Zitz probe. A Zitz probe. <laughs> oh, OK. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's kind of dirty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought said, I thought he said zits probe, and I was like, okay. I, I may have accidentally said that. <laughs> okay. Remember, I am very tired as well. Um, I, but I, uh, I, yeah, I was going to say there must be some sort of like you know nineteen twenties you know like we're going to call this a zits probe. You know, and it meant something <laughs> totally different back in the day. You know, and I'm like, okay, I guess that's how they made movies back. 
you know, turn of the century. Uh, yeah, sorry, I actually don't, go I, on. I don't know where the where the origin of that um of that word comes from. So maybe one day I'll do a theater uh, episode and do that. I would like to. I'm going to see Stratford uh, next month, so nice. maybe I'll do a a little theatery thing. Just from the uh, the parenting perspective uh, that you brought up before, um, would this show that you're promoting? Um, you you had mentioned some changes to the show. Is it still uh, children friendly? Oh yeah, well it's it's Disney's The Little Mermaid. It's their their changes from when they put it on Broadway in two thousand eight slash nine. You can't really make a giant Ursula that you can stab with a a, a ship. So okay. you know they had, they sort of had the. I wish they did that. I'm I'm saying it, that would have been way cooler on stage, but um, yeah. Ain't, ain't no the? Miss Saigon. No, ain't no Miss Saigon. There's no no helicopters, especially since this is turn yeah. of the like the 19th century. <laughs> so it is being pointed toward families to come and see the show, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, there's actually been a lot of um interest in like cast members coming out in costume afterwards and talking to the kids. So. Oh, you that's know, lovely. We're hoping to do that. I wouldn't like there's no there's no reason for me to go out in costume. I'm ensemble. I'd be like, hey, remember me? I was that drunk sailor that was on uh saying oh, sure. stuff. And and I'm then sure oh, very memorable, Eric. There was there was that time I was a I was a turtle. You might remember that. Or maybe <laughs> maybe the time I was that frog. Do you remember that guys? Yeah, I was a frog. I actually do remember the frog. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is that this is the company that um, I played Mr. Bungie, which was um, a character in A New Brain, which is a musical. And I played a giant frog. And Mike came and we had a yeah. picture of me with my giant frog head and uh, this giant yellow jacket. It was, it was quite humorous. I thought it was. I thought it was a good show. I totally have that picture somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of the little mermaid and an adaptation from one medium to another we're going to be talking about i know see there's a, I, I was trying to figure out a way we can we can go although we always talk about the transition after after we do it so it doesn't really work out um so um recently all three of us not together but uh, well i saw it with steve um we saw ready player one which is um, the film adaptation of a book by Ernest Cline, a 2011 book, and it was actually really popular. And you know, um, it it's sort of like the book is sort of like Willy Wonka or not Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, mm-hmm. mixed with 80s nostalgia. And Mike is currently showing me a picture of me <laughs> from that show. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, the. Uh, it, it, it's it's pretty much Willy Wonka mixed with uh, video games, um, music, uh, films, and eighties. It was a lot of love for the eighties in this book. Yeah. The 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 writer of the the um, the book was saying that this was his, sort of his love letter to him growing up, which you can see that in the book and in the film. But um, we thought we'd talk about book to film adaptations, um, how those are done. There's there's a lot of them now, like you see. I don't even know if you do you want to just talk about book to like TV or film adaptations. Sure. Sure. Because yeah. there's a lot of them. Like you have Hand Handmade Sale, which I just started watching, which is amazing. Um mm-hmm. uh, Armada is coming out uh, eventually. There's they're writing the script for that. That's a, another Ernest Klein book. Mm-hmm. Um it it's pretty much everything you see in movies is pretty much an adaptation now. Yeah, well, ever since Harry Potter, right? I mean, everyone saw the success of a, of a series uh, that's pretty much laid out, ready to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Hollywood was like, wow, that's fantastic. They did all the work for us, you know. We just have to film it, you know, and jumped on that bandwagon. But, I mean, yeah, uh, as per our discussion the other day, I mean, um, book adaptations uh, have the problem of the passage of time being different um, from when you mm. – um, watch a story and so that's that's usually the thing that suffers the most i mean sometimes stories don't really need the passage of time as much but uh, other times it's it's a very important part of a character's development that that can sometimes um affect a person's um uh interpretation Mm-hmm. Um, me and Mike, me and Mike were actually talking about that uh, in regards to Ready Player One, which we'll we'll talk mm-hmm. about later. Mike's mic is moving on him, and it's quite <laughs> hilarious. Um, it's just like slowly sinking. Um, um, I'll get I'll get this figured out. 
are there any other um, pros and cons to to adapting a book? To um, let's let's start with films because films is a shorter uh, um, amount of time sure. that you can work with. Like if if we're talking about like Lord of the Rings, they were long films, but they even they even even those cut out a lot. Of, oh yeah, um, yeah. Breadth of the of the book. Now I'm one of these uh, rare uh, English majors who um, doesn't really read. Um, so I uh, I come into film with a very unique perspective of having a pretty good idea of what the book was about and the maybe the tone of it, but not, not actually having read the book. So I I just take in the film just straight. Mm. And um, yeah, I know that in in Lord of the Rings, for instance, um, the researching of the Ring uh, by uh, Gandalf. <laughs> Uh, takes ten years, does it? Like he, it yeah. takes a very long time, and I mean, and he does it in a matter of like I'd say maybe weeks at most, the way it's shown in the film. Um, mm. So it's definitely that's definitely a problem. But I was going to bring up another uh, situation uh, with uh, Dune, and now mm. I don't know what's going to be happening with Dune. I'm hoping they do another television series, despite that uh, Siffy's uh, television series was pretty cheap. I have to say it was. Uh, a lot easier to take in as a television series than the David Lynch movie mm. because Dune in particular is one of those films where there's a lot of conversation, a very in-depth philosophizing. And uh, Lynch's way of trying to resolve having to write these massive discussions on politics was to focus on uh, dream sequences, which is something that, that Lynch does very well. But the movie ends up being this very weird, like inner law, inner monologue driven experience where everyone's like whispering their thoughts, you know, to try to, you know, uh, uh, express sort of the, the, the depth of the universe and the mm-hmm. characters. And it just comes across as this very bizarre experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's a situation where the book adaptation, I think failed as a film because it just is this weird abstract experience. Um, and it really mm-hmm. required, you know, uh, more time uh, mm-hmm. to, to show, you know, what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, any book to film adaptations that come to your mind, Mike? I mean, I think the first one that I thought of was Jurassic Let- Park. Yeah. Let's go mm. with the good one first. That's a good one. There you go. Right? Like, I mean, I remember reading that book, uh, before seeing the movie, and I knew the movie was coming out. I knew I, I had this big, thick book in front of me. Uh, it's not that thick anymore, Mike. You're just a lot uh, well, I mean, bigger now, man. I, mean, I was like 12 <laughs> was years big. old or something at the time, right? Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. So I, I remember, I remember wanting to finish it. I know this. This. this, um, this <laughs> is not working for me. So. <laughs> So yeah, like J- Jurassic Park was was like okay, there's all this stuff happening in this book. Like, how are they going to put it on the screen? And I remember, you know, seeing the the movie for the first time, and then everything that's in your mind, you know, being sort of whether it's um, uh, shown this on the screen the same way as you pictured it, or or whether you're 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 seeing something completely different. It was just qu- quite the experience for me, at least you know, as a young kid. And then um, mm-hmm. from there, it's like yeah, it seems like at this point because everything's a re- reboot or remake um, they're, they're trying to figure out all these new things. It's so yeah, anything that's been written uh, that's come out as a popular book, we're seeing a movie form of it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's go back to Jurassic Park. Cause that was, that's actually probably the first book to film adaptation that I can think of, especially since like Mike, I had read the book just prior to the movie having mm-hmm. seen, you know, the, the commercials were everywhere in what 94, Wait no, ninety two, ninety two. We were in grade six. Ninety three when that movie came out, right? We were we were in we were in um grade six, yeah. Because my school went to see it. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't know how <laughs> your grade six class went to go see it. It was amazing. Like, hi. hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the um. Oh, sorry. Okay, going back to the Jurassic Park, the um, it was weird because there were a lot of different points that were cut out of the book, and even yeah. like, like, but it didn't take away from the film, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it was you know sad that you didn't see the waterfall sequence with the T Rex. Yeah, that was cool. Um, you didn't see the pterodactyls, um, the the aviary. Like you did in the yeah. book, yeah, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But they hit like so many good emotional beats that didn't feel like something was missing. When mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of book to film adaptations, 
like the people who've read books, the the book prior, there's something that feels off, and Jurassic yes. Park never felt off mm-hmm. um, the whole time. Then, <laughs> and then, they did the Lost World, and that mm. felt horrible. I read that book in one day, uh, and then I saw the film, and I was like, none of this is in the book. Well, especially the whole, the whole San Diego part at the end that they decided just to put in for for cinematic value. Yeah, but like even the book's plot was way better than the movie because it was about you know how Nedry had that can of of um, DNA, right? It was them going back to try and find it. That like that was mm-hmm. parts of the book of the Lost World, right? Even though they were on the wrong island, <laughs> <laughs> um, stuff like that. It, it was it, it was sort of disappointing. Hmm. And then Steven Spielberg never went back to the Jurassic Park franchise. Hmm. Sorry, I'm taking a sip of water. I'm thirsty. And I mean, that's yeah, strange. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just about to say, it's it's sort of strange. Like, we'd have to look into the history of the adaptation of those two books. Uh, because um, why would they, you know, work so hard to capture the spirit of the first book, but then completely change the plot for the second one like not even attempt you know to follow the second one there there must have been some sort of behind the scenes reason for that i recall that the first book they had like even before it came out he had sold the rights to spielberg so they had mm-hmm. developed it for a long time they were just mm-hmm. waiting for technology to catch up with oh sure know, how they could do it although they were going to use puppets and some cgi um mm-hmm. they ended up you know going fully cg I no, think no, no, for some, the second, no, there, are some there are some puppets. I meant, in... I meant not fully CG, but well, but like half and half or something like that. Yeah, but I mean that's one of those last movies where they kind of had the best of both worlds, you know, because they didn't. I don't think they overdid the CG. Um, yeah, of course it doesn't look perfect by today's standards, but it's not jarring. It still looks good, man. That's yeah, a great Star Trek episode, nice. by the way. The best of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bringing up that. <laughs> Just you know, a couple of days after first contact day, uh, um, yes. the um, it, I I think I think he hadn't finished writing the second book when they were um doing the oh, the film okay. script, and Michael Crichton did help build the script uh, or build write the script of the first one. Okay, as I can call. Mm. And I don't think he was part of the second one. It almost seemed like they wanted to pull away from Michael Crichton's stuff so that they could continue building the franchise faster than he could write the books. Mm. Right, because we went into Jurassic Park three, like not so far after that, and then yeah, it was uh, a while after because uh, Jurassic Park three came out when we were in university, and Jurassic Park two came out when we were in high school. That's like, true, like grade ten at high school. And like, it's, it's interesting that that franchise is still alive now. Like we're gonna get a new entry in that franchise soon. Well, yeah, it has died for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Like three sort of, there was no four, right? Three killed it, killed that franchise, and then they. They yeah. did the Lost World, mm-hmm. and it took them like fifteen years to do that. Fifteen, oh lord, I'm old. Um, but um, yeah, I, 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 they also with Michael Crichton's passing, they had to, you know, work with all of that. Mm-hmm. I assume. <laughs> um, yeah. Are Are there any um book to film adaptations where you thought that the film was better than the book? Mm. that's a good question yeah I'm that's trying to think of um, definitely not the Dark Tower that was horrible <laughs> um, you know what I'll go off uh, Stephen King The Mist, the film was way better than the than the novella it was based on Like, yes. the, mm-hmm. the novella is obviously really short because it's a novella but mm-hmm. um, the film like brought up all these paranoid delusions from the people i'm talking about the movie not the crappy netflix uh series yes um, yes the with, with thomas jane the ending was even yeah thomas jane yes um, yeah brutal the mm-hmm. the ending was so good and stephen king had actually seen yes. that and was like mm-hmm. yeah. why didn't i think of that yeah exactly um, so, uh, mm. there's a there's a good example like he took the great thing is that they took a great plot and they fleshed it out yes yeah, they they were able to really uh, immerse themselves in it and and give it some some more thought um, than probably what Stephen King at the time when he wrote it he was probably you know still in his phase of you know alcohol and 
<laughs> and other things. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't quite as thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, actually, on that note, uh, I would say the film adaptation of it so far, I think is probably better. But I actually big. like it better than the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the first half of the book. Um, yeah. There were some things. Um, I don't know if, if you've read that book, Mike, but there are some. I have not. There are some things that are off. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like uh, I like I like that the stuff that they added. I wish there were certain aspects of Stephen King's sure books it, in any of his films. Like all of his yes. books are interconnected, and none mm-hmm. of the films have done that. Mm-hmm. I sort of wish they had. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the way the kids were portrayed, uh, updating it to the eighties um, mm-hmm. was a good move by the film company. Yes. Um, it still had the same feel because kids were still riding around their bikes and just yeah doing all that fun stuff like exploring back then. I'm sure if you you updated it to now, kids could be exploring with Pokemon Go, just walking around like that. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like they didn't have the orgy, which I thought was unnecessary oh, in the book. Um, yeah. th- that I'm talking about teenage orgy, uh, Mike. Oh, okay. <laughs> you look confused. Um, it was sort of yeah. them. It was them bonding, sort of. It, it was weird. Um, I, I, yeah, I have to reread the problem. that. Some, yeah, some of the sexual elements in in Stephen King's earlier books are not really sensible. You know, like they don't they they draw on some kind of rawness that I don't think people had ever seen before. And maybe from that perspective, they were I don't know. They added an extra dimension, but I think in hindsight, they they don't they don't work towards the greater story as well like i mean maybe one exception i can say is like the carry um Mm. i think those it's fair to say that the book and the movie have slightly different things to offer but i think the movie did capture the essential details of carry without some of the unnecessary details Um, um but you know like that would be one exception because that story does deal with you know sexuality and you know, and uh, changes. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's sort no, of it's like uh, the point of Carrie, right? It's her growing up uh, through yeah. puberty, but also yeah. having these powers show up. It's sort of like being an X Man, uh, yeah. but in a way more dangerous way. She could yeah. be the Phoenix. She could be Jean Grey if Jean Grey went wrong. Mm-hmm. Wait, Jean Grey did go wrong. Mm-hmm. She Carrie is Jean Grey. <laughs> if Jean Carrie wow. had. You've just you've just created the Stephen King uh, MCU universe. It's expanded now. I love it. I love yeah. it. Uh, you know, before we talk about so now, that, Disney's going to buy all of Stephen King stuff. Yep. yep. Could you imagine? And then it's going to be like Legion and Carrie. And Carrie can be crossover. a princess. Well, nice. there is a one Carrie already a princess. Uh, princess Leia. Uh, um, She'll the, always um, be royalty to me. It's true. Oh, you quoted that I'm one. Not eh? Superman. <laughs> um, one more, um, one more book to film adaptation. I'm just going to touch on before we go into Ready Player One. I think it's sort of apt um, when mm-hmm. we're talking about it. Is um, I thought uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World was a good adaptation of a book mm. series into a sure. single film. Yeah. Even though, like, even though the books were fairly long. Yes. Um, it did capture the, the the spirit and like visually and like well, it was a graphic audio. novel series as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so everything that's an interesting situation. Yeah, so it actually captured that comic book feel, but it also captured the video game feel that um, the author had wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, like the P bar or the hearts and all of that stuff. Yeah, and having it, it helped that having Edgar Wright as yes, you know, see to, to me that's. That's the deciding factor because a lot of times up until, you know, fairly recently, I feel that comic books, uh, according to Hollywood, were a little shameful. You know, they always wanted to try to, uh, I don't know, sanitize the concept of, of a person running around in tights. And so they would they would alter the comic book premise to such a degree that it was unrecognizable to fans and it was sort of weird for everybody else, you know, and Scott Pilgrim is an interesting case because I feel that Edgar Wright went to extreme lengths to maintain the integrity of the original idea and keep it as comic book as possible. Um, and so, I mean, that, that, I think that's a very unique situation. I think a, another example for comparison would be say like Watchmen where, 
uh, or Sin City, uh, where in both of these stories, the the directors also went to extreme lengths to maintain the visual uh, storyboarding um, of the original uh, works to such a degree that it really is just taking the panels and making them come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how successful those two you know, adaptations are, I'm not sure. I do think that Scott Pilgrim is probably one of the most successful comic book adaptations um but uh, like like that, money wise or oh no in terms of like you know this discussion of uh adapting something um to film and uh whether you know the film version you know stands you know stands on its own or not um i i, I do think i do think that scott pilgrim is one of the the better adaptations of a graphic novel Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to agree as well. <laughs> they, they did a fantastic job of like, especially with the, the actors in that movie as well, were able to take those characters mm-hmm. that you, you got a sense of, of who those characters were from the graphic novel, but then those actors were really able to bring them to life as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially since they're really, they're cartoon characters, right? So to, to make them, you know, into people, there is, there is a bit of a jump there, you know, and I, and they did pull it off very well. Yeah. I was surprised that, um, What's his face was a really good Scott Pilgrim. What's his name? Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah. Yeah, yeah. I almost called him Cena. did it. No, no, I'm not doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. Go Scott Pilgrim. Um, so, so we had seen. So all of us. This is the premise of the episode. We we're talking about Ready Player One. Um, do you guys oh, want? Yeah. So we should say spoilers, take, or how do we want to handle? Them? We're gonna do spoilers. So if you don't want spoilers. Well, we're going to talk about the book first. Nah. If you don't want spoilers, well, you know, we're going we're going to give it to you. Um, do you guys want to grab a do you want to do a quick break before we go on, like stretch your legs, grab a water? I'm okay. Sure. Okay. And welcome back after our our nice little pee break. Uh, we're back to talk about. Uh, we're back to talk about. I I speak good, people. Uh, we're here, I guess, now to talk about Ready Player One. Um, before we get into the in depth of of the film, uh, spoilers again, or even just like the book. What did you guys think of the film? Just just like a short, like two or three sentence. Review. Did you enjoy it? Did you like it? Did you not? Go, Mike. You go first. Okay. So I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the movie and I enjoyed it as a person who also enjoyed the book. But I think the reason that I enjoyed the movie was because I decided to let myself um, experience the movie as something separate from the book. Like hmm. if I experienced it as a, as a separate story within that universe with those same characters, I was able to enjoy it more. So you went in there without any expectations from the book. Good, good, yeah. good to good to know. Steve, what do mm-hmm. you think of the film? Uh, I did not. Re- I didn't read the book, so I was going in with actually no idea really what to expect, other than the trailers kind of implying it was kind of a modern Willy Wonka story, as you were sort of suggesting. Uh, I enjoyed the film. Uh, I went to see it because I wanted a Spielberg experience. And in a lot of ways, it was a Spielberg experience, very sort of classic. Uh, But I did feel that there were some elements of the movie that were a little forced, Uh, maybe, maybe missing scenes. That was something that I just kept thinking, like maybe there's like something cut from this film that's going to show up later. Uh, Nevertheless, I had fun with it. I thought the CG uh, for the film was actually quite impressed, impressive. Uh, I generally don't, like ex- excessive CG in a film. So I was sort of expecting not to like the virtual world, but uh, they, it was top notch and it was very exciting and, uh, and very, um, very powerful. Uh, so yeah. So overall I, I would recommend the film. I, I, I liked it. Yeah. It was, it was sort of cool. Like the, the CG didn't seem off, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it being worked. there for such a majority of the film, it worked. It just, yeah. It didn't feel forced or it didn't look bad or it looked like something that could happen. If I could add, if yeah, I could I, I add something really mm-hmm. quick, just to, on top of that with the CG, I was listening to another podcast and they had mentioned that um, there was enough CG in that movie that it could potentially be considered. And I mean, this is kind of out there, but it could potentially be considered as an animated film. Like when they look at award seasons and stuff, mm-hmm. because enough percentage sure. of that film was, was uh, CG. I thought that was, that was oh, interesting. That's interesting. That huh. is interesting. Yeah. So, um, 
personally me um i was i was sort of disappointed in the film like i thought it was a fun movie but i was disappointed um it just a lot of it felt it felt rushed not really rushed but it it felt like everything was compacted in that film and uh i don't know the 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 premise of the book for me was it it was a love letter to the 80s and 90s and but to 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 be that love letter it had to include the music the and all of the other aspects of 80s right like this this movie was pretty much just it was just a, a love letter to video games and movies from the from the 80s and that sort of bothered me but you know what especially since the first trailer this is me being really nitpicky they had they had, it was so it was so prominent that they used rush in it yeah and they yeah. didn't even talk they didn't even use rush at all in the film and that's yeah. for the that, h's t-shirt yeah h's yeah. t-shirt and there was a poster in um in uh holiday's uh old house in at the ending mm-hmm. <sighs> but it was much bigger with in the, the book yeah it was one of the challenges <laughs> yeah mm. um so interesting there it is. That's my uh, take on it. I, I thought it was a fun movie. It was gorgeous in IMAX 3D. Um, so yeah. if you do, haven't seen it, I highly, highly suggest see it in the biggest format that you can. It's not yeah. candy. No, I was, uh, yeah, I was a little skeptical about you know paying the extra for it, but I have to say it is one of the films that does benefit from a immersive experience, and the 3D in IMAX is the best way to take in that uh, that other world, mm-hmm. the Oasis. All right, so let's uh, let's get into this uh, book. Does someone want to explain the plot? At least the quick plot of the film. Yeah, let's I can. go with let's go with you, Mike. Yeah, okay. You have a lovely singing voice. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so basically, the the plot of this story was that there's this sort of uh, eccentric video game designer that created this uh, virtual world that people can escape their troubles. Uh, and and because this story takes place in a dystopian future, that video game world is where everybody can go. Um, and, and everything takes place there, the commerce and entertainment and education, all everything takes place within that world. Well, that person dies. And when he dies, he leaves uh, sort of in his will a, a, a challenge for the world as to whoever can find uh, this sort of hidden Easter egg within this, the, uh, this virtual world would get full control of that virtual world and all of his money, which was trillions of dollars. Uh, he, he was incredibly wealthy. And so this created this uh, this army of, of gunters, egg hunters, that uh, were trying to uh, go through uh, pop culture from, you know, in the book, it was mostly 80s, but they've added some 90s and 2000s uh, in the movie uh, to try to um, figure out where this egg was hidden and and to, to go through all the various challenges to get the egg. So that's that's sort of what the story is. Yeah. And, nice. Um, so... How do we attack this? So, Steve, I think we were going to talk about how you're you're um, you were talking about how you felt th- some things were off in the film, right? Yes. We were going on. Well, I mean, just from that very short synopsis, which I presume is based more on a little bit more on the book than the film, because I didn't really get that dystopian. I mean, yes, of course, you know, there's some bad corporate stuff going on and but I, I i did not get the impression that the oasis was used for everything that was something that eric told me afterwards that was uh, prominent in the book like the schools and commerce and you know basically the world ran off of the oasis i got the impression from the film that it was just the the best virtual reality game ever and it was so good that everybody you know played it and i mean throughout the film too i mean getting towards the end um you just have lots of people just walking around the streets playing it. And I did not get the impression that the world was really all that bad. You know, it was just these people were playing the video game. Too and, much, and I think that know? sort of takes away some of the, the urgency of this. Like I, I, I agree mm-hmm. with you. The, the movie really did make it seem like it was uh, this really cool video game place. And, and yeah, it would be really cool to take control of it. But if, if you didn't win the contest, it really wouldn't matter that much. Um, but the, the book yeah. really approached it in a different way. They, they approached it in the way that this, this world, um, one of the things that they described this world was um, everybody can access it for free. You, you didn't have to pay any type of, okay. of fee to get into it. And everybody was equal when they were in the Oasis. And this was something that mm-hmm. IOI, the company uh, that was also trying to get control 
uh, through this contest, this is something that they wanted to take away. And because people mm-hmm. were very poor in the world, um, and and the book made it di- made it sound a lot more dystopian. Um, because mm-hmm. it was, their people were very poor, um, you would basically lose access to the Oasis and only the people who were really well off would get access uh, to this virtual world moving mm-hmm. forward if the other company won. Mm-hmm. It's right. funny because when they started talking about IOI taking over the Oasis in the movie, they were just talking about how they could use like 80% of the viewers, uh, the player's uh, view screen to put ads but that's not really what they were <laughs> it was funny to talk to, for them to say that in there but it was really yeah. just wanting to take away the that freedom and them to like make tiered like sorrento did sort of mention tiered players mm-hmm. in in yeah. when he was an yes. intern in that flashback yeah. but yes yeah that it was it was it wasn't there plus you know when they were walking around outside all the streets were pretty much clean. It was lit. Yeah. It, I, I, yeah. In, in the book, that wasn't a dystopia. <laughs> in the book, it felt like they were living in Blade Runner. Yeah. Like, that's how bad it mm. was. Like the stacks mm. were there because they couldn't build anymore. Like the the world had been so overpopulated that they had to build upwards, and um, stuff like that. Like Chicago, not, not Chicago, it was Columbus, right? Yeah. That they lived in. Columbus was supposed to be like a giant, like shanty town. Um. Mm. Not shanty, but you know, it, it was supposed to be like, it was supposed to be just stacks, pretty much, from what yeah. I could recall. Yeah. Mike, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. See, I didn't get any of that from the film. I mean, just just watching the film, like I was like, yeah, okay, it kind of sucks that they've got to build these junk piles and call them houses. But when they showed the inside of the houses, like, well, this looks like a normal house from the inside, you know. So it doesn't it's not that bad, you know. Like, I mean, yeah, okay, it's you're living on top of each other, and you know, it's reused, you know, crap, but. I I, just, I didn't I did not get the impression like total uh not total recall Running Man seemed more dystopian you know like a lot of a lot of other sci-fi from the eighties uh had a, had a much worse look to it even though it was maybe even cleaner you know but yeah. Uh, yeah yeah Mike you were saying something about um the spacing in the in the stacks right yeah uh, earlier like like even even in the trailer that Wade lived in like the the um the movie described it as uh you know it, it seemed like uh, well it, no, i'm thinking the movie first like it it, just, it showed it as a uh there there seemed to be enough room and and you know the the aunt and and her and her sort of scummy boyfriend and and it just seemed like everybody mm-hmm. was fine in there but in the book they described it as uh, there were multiple families living in that one trailer and they were all oh, paying yeah, rent to the totally aunt different. who owned the the um the trailer. And so the only place that Wade could sleep was on top of the washing machine. And they never described that in, okay. in the, uh, in the movie, but in the book, it was like, it was, there were so many people living in that one tiny trailer that he felt that he had huh. no room. And his only escape was that, yeah. that, um, uh, sort his sort of hideout inside the van that he had because right. Right. Uh, everybody was, it was just so much overcrowding happening. Did they even, yeah, men- I didn't get that impression at all. They didn't mm-hmm. even mention really the van, right? It just sort of showed him, not being at home yeah. while he was doing that. Yeah, exactly. He, I assume. Of- yeah, I assumed. I assumed that van was like his space to get away from his aunt's boyfriend. Not that he needed it per se. Obviously, nice to have like your own personal space to do your virtual virtual reality gameplay. Anyway, but uh, I just assumed. Well, he just found this place or made this place like in a junkyard uh and i mean when they showed actually you know the scene where he's on the uh the washing machines um again that didn't come across as a necessary thing that came across as almost like oh he just kind of went there to chill you know because it's it's Mm -hmm. you know it's fun to ride the (laughs) washing machine like i understand (laughs) that that wasn't the intention of the scene I, i realize that i know even without you explaining it to me that yeah that was meant to show that things were not good where he lived, but I, I was like, I'm not feeling it. No, I, I kind of feel like he's almost just chilling there, like because they only showed it the one time, right? I, it was weird. I feel like he could have slept in his living room, like that couch seemed mm. fine. Yeah, he didn't yeah. need to sleep on the, on mm-hmm. the washing machine. It wasn't even he wasn't even sleeping at that point though. He was like looking out the window, yeah. you know, like it was a very romantic looking scene it's the, for it's the Steven something Spielberg. Uh, somewhere, not somewhere of the rainbow, but the somewhere out there from an American tale, yeah, <laughs> American Five or whatever. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there? Um, 
uh, while we're while we're talking about spacing, um, the thing that I think one of the bigger issues I had with the film is that everything seems so small. Like the world seems small. Oh, yeah. like everything was in Columbus, Ohio. Which, yep, yep. hey, you know, why would everything be in Columbus, Ohio? Um, but, and, <laughs> but like, and obviously, yeah, so, you're, go, sorry, no, go, go, go for it. Well, I was going to say, and, and obviously, the thing that I realized watching the film was. Uh, one of the first things I asked Eric when we left the theater was, were those all those characters actually supposed to be in Columbus or were the Asians actually supposed to be in Asia? <laughs> because it just it seemed awfully convenient that they just would just show up in a van. You know, like I was like, what? This doesn't seem doesn't seem quite right to me. Actually, all of them were from different um, like parts of the world, except for H and Wade. Right. They were H and Wade were sort of close by. Or did did, no, did I, H I, I, drive I over? Think H drove to to Wade to to pick him up. Yeah, huh. like she, I think I, I think H had to drive quite far. Oh, you're right, because uh, she was in um, she was in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and she had to drive. Oh my god! Up, yeah, that's <laughs> like me and Mike were talking about how, like, uh, should we talk about sequences that were missing and like that should have sure. been in the film? Like, Mike, was there anything sure. in the book that you felt like should have been there? I think one of my favorite sequences in the book, they just pulled it completely out. And, and it was the, the moment when the stacks are, are blown up and, and, and mm-hmm. he realizes mm-hmm. that, uh, that he's in trouble. Um, in the book, there was no rebellion that went to, to rescue him and take him to all of the other players. Um, in the book, he was on his own and he basically had to use all of his sort of, uh, uh, notoriety and his fame for finding the, uh, the, the, the key. And he had to um, book himself travel to the actual city where uh, IOI and Gregorius games were because they weren't in the same city that the stacks were in. And he had to drive across uh, the country in a bus. And I remember the book described it as the bus had to be armored. And there was uh, somebody with a, a, a gun uh, that would sit on the, like at a turret at the top of the bus to protect the bus as it was driving through sort of the, uh, the, the land that was between cities. And, w- and then he got to wow. the city and he had to get an apartment and he had to get all of his equipment and he had to come up with a plan for how he was going to win this, this, uh, this thing. But he did it mostly on his own in the book. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, that wouldn't mm-hmm. work so well on film, I think, but it, uh, uh, for, for me, that was one well, of my favorite parts of the book. I think it could have like, um, in, in yeah. the book, the holiday had died many, many years prior to the book happening like in the film um they i think they mentioned that how they died five years previously five years but yeah it was very the, i think in the film it was like something like 15 or 20 years earlier mm-hmm. and um so by the time the wade had started hunting for the egg gunters had lost like interest in the in the whole mm-hmm. uh hunt for for many years like they showed the 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 library being empty like that happened in the yes. book too but like it had been empty for a long time at that point yeah because years had gone by mm-hmm. and nobody had found the first key like nobody even knew yeah. where it was no one knew there no, was okay. no race so no one knew what the first challenge yeah. was so people were exactly that's what yeah. sorry go for it oh sorry no i was gonna say exactly like what what was okay because okay obviously if there wasn't like a highlighted, you know, car race, you know, for everybody to focus their attention on what was the first challenge or what was the first uh, key uh, in the book. So um, while he was in, so um, like we were saying that everything was happening in the uh, Oasis. So schools were happening there while he was at school, he was reading what uh, Anorak's journal or something. And he realized that a clue had pointed to a, like random like D um thing was it yeah uh, D was it module module um okay so he ended up going to i think a spot that was mentioned in that module and that's where he ended up going to the first challenge like he was one of the first people to discover it him and artemis um they had discovered that um pretty much around the same time which was sort of you know fortuitous in the book mm-hmm. but well technically you know, artemis like discovered it first but it took she wasn't able to beat the challenge right parzival mm-hmm. beat the challenge first yeah and his first go right? yeah his first go 
Um, so, mm. you know, Artemis wasn't too happy. There's this back and forth between Artemis and uh, and uh, Wade that's not really in the movie. Like, the movie seemed way no. more romantic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and the the book, where it, where it was some romance, it felt more like a rivalry at first. Yeah. And he doesn't right. actually meet Artemis in person until the very last page of the book. Hmm. Wow. Oh, yeah, because he's... he's because they meet, because they go over to. They're at Mor- Morrow's Morrow. mansion, and that's where they do the yeah. final challenge. Um, except for um, Wade. Wade's not there. No, Wade's there too. Wait, where was Artemis? She was there, but she didn't want to distract him from. Oh yeah, she from, had a separate. Uh, so she didn't want to meet him in person right. until yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's different. Wow. The, the, the book is different. Like, and there's a lot of love for the book. A lot mm-hmm. of people. Um, well, there there are feelings of both sides for the book. There are a lot of people that think it's just too much nostalgia, too like it, it's kind of like a hollow story. There are people that love the book, but mm-hmm. it's different from the movie, and I think that's okay. Like mm-hmm. I think there are there are parts of the movie yes. that maybe seemed rushed, and maybe especially if you had read the book, feel like well, if they would have added this, mm-hmm. it might have made more sense. But there there are differences. Sure. Yeah, it, it was mostly the, yeah. the the making the world feel small. Like everyone seemed to live in Columbus, Ohio. Like uh, Artemis was from Vancouver, and like uh, mm-hmm. H was from Atlanta, and uh, the other the Asian guys. Oh Lord, I can't believe it. I can't remember their names right now. Dito, Dito, Dito and, and Shoto. Shoto, Shoto. But they were from Shoto in the book, and they're like yeah. they were they're like brothers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they were like brothers in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big thing that they missed in the film was there was no, so you get that brevity of his aunt dying, you know, whatever. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really care for her too much when she died, but mm-hmm. if they had done what mm-hmm. the book had done and killed Dido a little bit after that, mm-hmm. that would have, although we had met them, right. They, we didn't really meet the yeah. movie until. No. So I wonder how that would have worked out. There was also that weird sequence. I don't know if you thought this, Mike, but me and Steve definitely thought this. In the in the final battle outside of Anorak's castle, Dido was sitting there meditating. Yeah. For such a long time. And I was sitting there like, what is he doing? Yeah. Like, why is he doing yeah. this? Yeah, because he's not even in the system. So it's just like I don't understand what the he point is. He wanted of that to make is. an entrance, it's maybe. I don't very... know. It didn't make sense either. He did. He I made know. a good entrance on the on, on Serenity with his uh Gundam. Um it, it, it was weird. Like I, I, I wish, like I wish they had, like made it look like they had, re, like Wade had revitalized the Gunter hunt. It didn't really feel like anyone was really hunting for it, except for just those five, and IOI. Yeah. Like it, it felt like it was just those guys versus these guys. Whereas there were so many people now going for it that. And, mm-hmm. and well, they figured out the clues pretty quickly too in the movie, and it took them a lot longer in the book, like a lot of lapse time where they had no idea where they were supposed to go next. Lots of hanging out in H's sure. uh, uh, playroom or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his garage, right? It was his his den or whatever. I don't know. Well, that's a passage of time yeah. issue that you know is sort of goes back to our discussion from earlier, um, right? About passage of time and and adaptation mm-hmm. of movies. I thought what they mm-hmm. did really well before I, I crap on the film a little bit more was I, I thought I, I thought um, the relationships between the characters, at least like Wade and Artemis, it felt more real to me than it did in the book. Like, even though they added mm-hmm. the whole rebellion thing, um, she felt more like a more more of a person than she did in the book. to mm-hmm. me. I, don't, I know, Mike, you had some issues with her, but I don't know what it were. We didn't really go into it. Like just issues with her in the movie, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I think it was okay. I, I think I kind of liked the rivalry in the book a little bit more. Like it almost felt like yeah. she had they had to build up the relationship a little bit more. It almost seemed like in the movie, she was instantly infatuated with him, uh, and was kind of playing hard to get for the first little bit, and then suddenly they were I a couple. Um, whereas you know, in, in the book, it was a little bit different. The the, the build was a lot longer, and and. Uh, Parsifal wasn't really sure because he really liked her, but wasn't sure if she felt the same way. And mm-hmm. but I did, I did enjoy yeah. what I saw in the movie, though. Yeah. I, I thought that they played, they played the scenes quite well, the two of them, uh, mm-hmm. with sort of the the space that they had to to do that. 
Yeah, same with same with mm-hmm. Wade and H's relationship. I thought they had a they had a good relationship in the book, and I think it it felt pretty good in the mm-hmm. in the movie too. Like, like them meeting for the first time felt yeah. genuine. Yeah, which was pretty mm-hmm. funny. Yes, I was looking forward to that part where he was like, "What the yeah. a girl?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think those those elements of making those characters come to life definitely. Uh, the actress did a great job, and I do think that that also uh, comes from uh, Spielberg's ability to uh, direct. Uh, his uh, his actors. I mean, I think that he, he was definitely able to create an emotional connection um, with uh, everybody you needed to feel for uh, at the moments you needed to feel for them. Uh, although I would have to say the one mistake in the film, if I had to say there was one emotionally, was the quickness between the destruction of um, the ants uh, stack uh, and then him being kidnapped and then him meeting Artemis because that happened very quickly and it's a series of traumatic events, right? I mean, he sees his home blow up, his only family die. Then he's kidnapped now because they had to speed Mm -hmm. that up, right? For the film version. And then the, then he sees Artemis and all of that, like, yes. Okay. I know he likes her. Right. But it's still a shock to see her in real person. He just seemed to just kind of like totally forget everything, you know, like that, that was a little bit, that was one bridge too far for me. I, I thought that was a little uh, sloppy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I agree. I think they did a good job with um, the characters meeting each other. Um, one really important um, relationship in the film and the books was the relationship between Ogden Morrow and James Halliday. Um, speaking from someone who's read the book, uh, Mike, how do you feel like their relationship? How did you feel they portrayed that relationship in the film. I, I kind of liked it better in the film than I did in the book. That that's actually a good a, a good thing to bring up because um, I, I felt in the book like it was very much a Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak kind of relationship that they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it the book didn't really bring it to life for me. Uh, but but I kind of liked the the way that the actors portrayed sort of the awkwardness of of the uh, of James Halliday's character. And sort of the business, the business guy of, of Ogden Morrow and, you know, those two trying to interact with each other. And then there was the love triangle and, and all of that. I, I, I kind of like how it turned out in the movie. I liked how they sort of made uh, Holiday as a person that was on the spectrum. I thought that was a neat aspect of them that they portrayed in the film. Mm-hmm. I know, Steve, that you had some issues with their, at least their breakup in the film. Um, yeah, I didn't really understand the relationship beyond that they had built something together. And then I couldn't quite grasp why Ogden had been forced out. Like, I understand that was something that happened in the history, but I didn't because they were so quick with what they showed of their relationship. I, I didn't understand why he was forced out or even how he was forced out. Yeah. I, um, I Because a logistically it didn't make sense to me. I don't recall him being forced out in the book. I think he... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. I'm pretty sure he left um, because he thought that people were using the Oasis too much now. Like they were relying on it, uh, and it was going to be like their their main everything in their life. And he didn't want that. They sort yeah. of touched upon that in the film, but I think that's the reason why he quit. And he was trying to explain that to Holiday, and Holiday was like, "No, like Steve Jobs, this has to be your life." I, I, I wow. kind of recall yeah. it being that, that way too. And I remember that him and his wife, um, didn't, didn't they decide to go into business for themselves, creating like educational software for kids? I thought that was, uh, yeah, Morrow, did. Morrow and his wife, I, I thought after they had left yeah. the, uh, uh, working with the Oasis. Yeah. They were still working on Oasis mm-hmm. type things, but it was from an educational, I think that's where the schools came from. Isn't it? Maybe I can't I remember. Recall. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It was a long time ago. It, it, it's sort of sad that Og, Og was such an important part of the book. Like They were always talking about him being such a recluse. He had this Howard Hughes-type feel after, like, at the time of Wade. Like, he was, he, he was never seen by public, but he was still alive. And I'm pretty sure he still had stakes in the company. He he, he was crazy mm-hmm. rich. I don't remember if he was still directly involved because the ownership of the company was going to go to the winner of the contest. Mm-hmm. But like he was important in the latter part of the book because when all of like 
so IOI was a lot more violent and, and there was a lot more, uh, they were a lot scarier in the book, the things that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And when basically mm-hmm. all of the characters in the book, um, like I'd mentioned before, they were all separate, um, but they were on the run at one point because IOI found out who they were in real life and was trying to hunt them down. And it was actually Ogden mm-hmm. Morrow that brought them mm-hmm. all together. He, he sent his private jet to go and pick them all up and bring them uh, to his mansion where he had all of the uh, equipment mm-hmm. set up so that they could finish the game uh, uh, in a safe mm-hmm. place. Wow. So he was, he was very important that right. last part of the, of the book. Mm-hmm. He, mm. Yeah. It sounds like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I don't think it was a jet. I think it was a, like one of those uh, planes slash slash spaceships that can go into the lower um, altitude of the, of the earth. Cause I remember them going up and then down and, and Wade not liking that, or was it H or something like that? I remember that being something funny because they were going from like um, Japan to like I think he was in San Francisco or something in like hours instead of it mm. being like yeah. Anyway, sorry that was that, that was just another an part off. that I'm not remembering a hundred percent, but but I know that they, he did bring them all to to his his mansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that it sounds like from. Uh, the significance of those characters and their relationship in the book, they kind of reversed everything so they could make the final sentiment of uh, holiday. Uh, what Ogden actually believed in the book, which was to say that, you know, the Oasis can't be everybody's whole life, but I guess that sentiment worked better in a simplified version of the story uh, to be the, you know, the moral of the whole film. Um, and for it to be the, the point of all the quests, um, because they couldn't work in all this other stuff that was happening, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there were any other relationships. Uh, Sorrento was sort of, I think he was better in the film. He seems sort of two dimensional in the book. Yeah. If, if he wasn't, he was just like the angry CEO. Right and sort of like a killer. He wasn't CEO. even the CEO in the book. He was just responsible for the the oology division, the the the, the division that was oh, of that company oh, that was really? looking for the egg. So he was just the guy, yeah, right. and he had he had uh, corporate uh, sort of overlords that he had to report to. And w- whenever mm-hmm. one of these mm. other guys would get wow. the key, like when Parzival got the key, like he would get you know in trouble for that. Like you've got all yeah. this money and all these people, mm. and how come some random person is is winning these challenges? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It, 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 yeah. wow. it was sort of the again with the whole the world shrinking they didn't they went to so many different worlds in the book and we only sort of saw like three planets in the film and it sort of made me sad well, what did you think there of, was that, also, of that sort of fly over the oasis at the beginning of the movie i kind of like i thought that was, that was really cool i thought that's i thought that's what was gonna happen in the movie right because they also had ships in yeah. the book right that they could go to these different planets um, and I was looking forward to that. Well, re- remember we, we saw Minecraft world and we saw, yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah, golfing. But, had, but like in the book, they also had like, um, a book, uh, a planet based on, uh, Zork, right. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. And oh, I was nice. looking forward to them flying over these things or like at least seeing, I wanted spaceships that this is where I'm headed. I wanted spaceships on screen. I wanted to see the millennium Falcon, which fire fly. <laughs> <laughs> like a bunch of other things there like that battle at the end there there was there was a space battle above it remember and then there was the ground battle it just sort of seemed like everyone just sort of showed up <laughs> like if they really wanted to s- spread everything out and and take the time that the book did they could have made this into a trilogy i mean it, it, nah, it, it i don't know i mean it, 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 it might have been too much but like there yeah. was probably enough content there there would have been enough content for a trilogy. I think the the middle part would have been boring because it would have just been him in his apartment <laughs> trying to figure out things. Sad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but then the third the third <laughs> one would be them at a mansion trying to figure out things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, overall, I think you know it was all right for me. Uh, Mike, you, mm-hmm. you your thumbs up guy for this. Thumbs up. Thumbs yeah. up. Book and book and movie yeah. i thought the book was pretty good and i thought the movie was entertaining steve your thumbs up for film or at least watch it 
Yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, I went because I wanted a Spielberg experience and this was a Spielberg experience and all that that entails, which is to say, yeah, it's a feel good film. And uh, but it's not one of his better films, but it's a mm-hmm. good film. It's it, it hits the oh, right. Here, beats, here, here, here's know, a better so, question. Yeah, so Are you going to buy this on Blu-ray when mm-hmm. it comes out? Oh, no, Mike. No. I don't really. Yeah, I've already got the Funko Pops. I'm looking at them right now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to buy the Blu ray. (laughs) Yes, I'm a maybe. Um, I'm a maybe. I think I would like to. Maybe I'll see it again one more time and be like, yeah, maybe I'll watch this again. I've been sort of following the development of this movie um, through Reddit. Like, I've been following the the subreddit for Ready Player One for for quite a while. Uh, while they've been preparing this movie, so I've been I've been excited. Mm-hmm. Any any little production photo that they put up, so I mean it's like when the hype gets that high, you know, it can never really meet that expectation. But I, I was I was still uh, I was still you know pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go yeah. for it, Steve. I think if there are actually cut scenes, you know, if that is if my suspicion is correct, and it isn't just that they did some extremely convenient contrivances <laughs> that I would actually be interested in possibly getting the Blu-ray if there was a longer cut. Uh, I doubt that there are. They're not really necessary, but, you yeah. know, maybe if there's some. And uh, also, I, I guess I wanted to add an extra point. Uh, the fact that uh, Klein was actually involved with the film uh, and that he sort of told an alternate reality version of his story does add a lot more um, legitimacy to it. I mean, I feel that, you know, yes, he changed a lot of things and there's a lot left out. And those are things that happen when you make film adaptations, but that, that he was involved with it, I think gives it more of a seal of, you know, uh, genuineness that uh, I can stand behind, you know, uh, when discussing these, you know, failed adaptations. I mean, I think it's a successful adaptation in that, it still tells a good story and uh, it may not be the same story, but that's not a bad thing either. You can't always, you know, tell the exact story or the essential story that a novel Mm -hmm. tells. Well, that's true. Um, So I guess maybe I will throw this one more thing, throw us one more thing, throw us one more thing. I'm going to ask you guys one more thing. In 2015, uh, Den of Geek asked Zach Penn if they were going to write a sequel to this movie. 2015, so just when they started filming. Um, And Zach Penn said that him and Klein were indeed writing a sequel to the film. As well, in 2017, Hmm. December, um, Ernest Klein again announced that he was writing a sequel to this book. I don't know if he said it was a a film. Hmm. But um, is there anything you can see yourself or see happening in a sequel? I, I, I don't recall IOI being dissolved as a company in the book or in the movie. So maybe that's something that could we could see. Maybe we'll see a more global version of Ready Player One. What are your thoughts? Go, Mike. You're you're a book reader of this and film. I, I, I don't I don't know where they could go with this, I, with a sequel I don't, for this. I, I don't really want a sequel book for this. I like I know that he's writing one and I probably pick it up if he writes it i'll probably read it and see what it's all about but i feel like the story ended in a nice place for me and um it's not the kind of thing where i'm sort of yearning for more in this universe uh, and, and the issue too is that in my opinion uh klein's other big book armada the one that that's also going to be made into a movie um i don't think was nearly as good as ready player one like i really didn't like it as much uh, at all and so I, I don't know. I, I kind of want to just leave it as it is. Cool. Steve, looking forward to a sequel? Yeah, I kind of. <laughs> no, I, I agree with everything uh, Michael just said. Um, I honestly can't see any threads that they can pick up at this point. This this movie, if if it has a fault, it's that it's too neat, right? Like there's, there's not enough of a dystopian world expressed. IOI is the only apparent villain. Um, the economy, 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 economies, and, you know, politics is not established at all. So I don't really see what they could possibly do. I mean, the idea of creating a sequel for a variation, uh, is interesting, but it's too neat a package right now. I don't, I don't know that, that a sequel would be necessary to it either. (laughs) There's, there's nothing in this film that I can see this going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess. If Sorrento got out and was on a quest for revenge, 
no, I, even then I can't really see it. Um, well, what was kind of neat though is that uh, the, the name of the author is escaping me right now, but it's the the author who wrote The Martian. Uh, oh yeah, Andy. Weir. Yeah, Andy Weir. He actually wrote some some fan fiction that takes place within the Ready Player One universe, and uh, and it was actually um, oh. sort of picked up by uh, Ernest Cline as canon um, afterwards because he, he liked it so much. Oh wow! So it was just it was is it in a it was the story yeah. of just other Gunters trying to exist within this universe trying to find this egg and what kind of adventures they had and it was i only read it once and it's like a short story but it was uh really neat what where did you read this is it online or is it in a book i I saw i saw it online okay i'll have to check it out um uh yeah do you should we let's just go straight into armada now no i'm just joking (laughs) (laughs) steve if you're wondering what armada is just picture an updated version Mm -hmm. of the last starfighter yeah that that, that that that's it, well, right? There's nothing really that's different. Pretty much it. Like I haven't seen Lost Starfighter in a while, but like government conspiracies and and like like the Armada went to some weird places. Yeah. Well, they are making a film adaptation of that, and they're rebooting the Last Starfighter, so maybe we'll get both films at the same. Oh, like time. how we got Dante's Peak and Volcano. What, are you the same serious? Summer. Remember that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. Yeah. The, Steve, there. Oh um, the the writer for uh, Rogue One, I think, is doing. Um, we also got Deep Impact in Armada the following. Or, no, Armageddon the following. Deep Impact. Deep, deep Impact in yeah. Armageddon the following summer. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're gonna get back to that again. Yay. Oh yeah. no! <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, are there any final thoughts you well, want to say about uh, Ready Player One or Ernest Cline? There was ants, ants, and a bug's life. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I think there were a couple Maybe. B yeah, movies there was, too, there, weren't there? Like, there were. There, there's the B yeah. movie, and then there's that. Uh, what's the other? Uh, I forget. There was a period yeah. there where we were getting at least two really movies bad. with the same plot from two different companies. <laughs> Well, maybe yeah. we'll throw it to the listeners. If you do, you know what B movie we we're talking about, and we're not talking about the one with Gary <laughs> Gary Seinfeld. Um, why don't you send us an email at uh, podcast at geekswithkids.ca, or you can send us a tweet. Just hashtag B movie us at uh, geekswithkidscn, or you can even go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash geekswithkidspodcast. And I'm pretty sure that's all of our social media. You can also go to our website at www.keysuitkids.ca or to our Libsyn page, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N, which is where we house all of our websites, our website, all our MP3s. That's geekswithkids.libsyn.com. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Steve, for coming on. Hey, thank you. Um, I'm thank sure you. I will actually record an outro that I can just plop onto every <laughs> podcast episode from now on. But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you guys on a, another episode soon. I'm actually not going to be on next the next episode because I'll be deep in shows. So I don't know. Steve, you want to take over or is Mark taking over? Some one of you guys are going to take over. We'll yeah, work yeah, it out. Yeah. 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 And then Mike, yeah. hopefully we'll see you for, yeah. for the Star Wars one. Star yeah, Wars. I'll be on that for sure. Yeah. Then then you can meet Steve nice. and hear about all his hatred for The Last Jedi. All right. <laughs> yeah, I could join that conversation. Uh, I did not enjoy that movie either. Oh, ooh, we can. Yeah. Well, it's gonna, it's gonna, Im- it's gonna impact the viewing <laughs> order definitely because I. All right. We'll yeah. Save let's it. save it. Well, let's, thank let's you, save thank it. you guys. Okay. Thank you, uh, all you listeners, for listening to us, and have a good week. Bye. Have a good week. Say bye, bye. Mike. Bye.